First Thessalonians chapter 2. I had heard this illustration many, many years ago, and I thought I've always remembered it because it, it seems so profound to me. It's not like a story that you'd write down and you'd have to know the details. It was simply a preacher who said, isn't it amazing how a little box about this big, about this round, controls our lives? They're usually painted yellow. They usually have three lights on them, red, yellow, and green. And how we will obey them even when no one else is around. I have seen and been and have done it at 2 o'clock in the morning, driving home from somewhere. You come to a red light and you stop. There isn't anyone going through the intersection. Right? There's no one there. In fact, in Ireland, near my house was a traffic light. And someone, this was, this is the Irish mentality. This was their graffiti. Painted on a box next to the traffic light is, why is this light working at 1 a.m.? That's Irish graffiti, okay? They're, they're not really hoodlums like that. But they did, they would paint on that. And I know we've all squirted the yellow and they drank lemonade or however, you, you know, squeezed the lemon or however you want to say it going through. And sometimes it's been even strawberry lemonade. I understand that. Right? But really, this controls people's lives. Sinner or saint. People stop at red lights. They go through green. I know there are exceptions. But isn't it interesting that those have sometimes more authority on some people's lives than this? The Word of God. Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church. He's recounting on his entrance to them. It's a church that he had a great revival when he was there. God did a lot of very powerful things. And in the first two chapters of the first book of Thessalonica, or Thessalonians, in Thessalonica, he recounts all that's happened, how he came into them, how he preached, how people received the word of God, how God did great things there. And he, he marks this around the thought of them obeying the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13 says, Therefore we never stop thanking God. That when you received his message from us, you did not think of it as our, of words of mere human idea, but you accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is, and continues to work in you who believe. Now we know that uh, as Paul is writing this, not everywhere he went, not everywhere that Jesus went, not everywhere that Peter went, did they receive the word of God. There were places that uh, Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out two by two. uh, He said, uh, if you go into any household or town, this is uh, Matthew 10, 14. Going in any household or town to welcome you or listen to you, 
Uh, oh, I'm, uh, if, uh, I'm sorry. If you go into any household or town, refuses to welcome or listen to you, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave. He says there's just going to be some people that uh, at the end, uh, they're not listening. They're not hearing what uh, the word of God has to say. And he says, you just uh, swipe off the dust. Uh, And he testifies that it will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day than that city that rejected the word of God. Jesus tells a parable of the sower and the seed. And we're going to look at this on Sunday Sunday morning. But basically, he tells us that the word of God was scattered, but not everyone received it. Some it hit on hard ground. It didn't penetrate their heart, didn't go anywhere. Others, it sprung up for a moment, but choked out by thorns and different things or had no root in themselves. Some received the word, but Jesus puts very clearly that not everyone is going to receive the word of God. That this is a reality. Those, uh, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 2, uh, 3.16... And he's talking about Paul's letters here. He says, Paul was speaking those things in his letters. Some of his comments were hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different. Just as they do with other parts of the scriptures. This will result in their Destruction In the original Greek, uh, that word twisted literally means to torture the scriptures. They're literally twisting them and torturing them. It's painful. It's destructive to their lives. We've seen this uh, in our modern day. You don't have to go that far to see people either reject or twist the word of God. That they ignore what the Bible says because of their feelings, because of their opinions, because of their politics. The dangerous things is when you reject the word of God, many times you'll get what you asked for, but you won't like what you get. The Bible tells us of the children of Israel that they had rejected The word of God, the children of Israel rejected the word of God and God sent them. They were complaining about the manna. So he sent them quail and they filled their nostrils and it eventually killed them. There was leanness, leanness in their soul. There was something lacking in their spiritual life because of their rejection of what God said. God will give you what you want sometimes or let you have what you want, but you won't want what you get. Secondly, people will suffer unnecessarily. Leanness in your soul, rejecting the word of God. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. When we disobey God, that's exactly what we're doing. We're trying something. We're trying it our own way. We're convinced life can work better if I'm in control rather than the word of God, rather than what scripture says. Therefore, I can do what I, and you suffer needlessly. You suffer. I have seen this in many areas of life. People who suffered needlessly. I had a young girl come to me in Prescott 
when I was uh, on staff there. And she, she's telling me she's not paying her tithe. And so I'm, I'm listening to this and, uh, she's telling me that her car's broken. She's not getting any hours at work. She's not, you know, nothing's going right for her. And I said, well, why don't you pay your tithe and let God help you? Actually, she told me all these things and I asked her if she was tithing. She said, no. I said, you need to pay your tithe. She came to me about, no, two months later. She says, you know what? Someone gave me a car. Uh, I got a raise at work. I got more hours at work. Uh, And God just really began to bless her life. She ended up, she's married today. And God has really helped her because she began to obey God. You suffer needlessly. And you're left to your own strengths when you disobey God. Your own ability You're on your own. It's a kind of a frightening thing when you're out there by yourself. When you don't know and you don't have the strength or the wisdom and all of that to navigate through life. And you're trying to do it without the Word of God. You're left. It's a scary place. 2 Thessalonians tells us that God will use every kind of, uh, he, that he rather will use every kind of evil deception to fool those who are on their way to destruction because they love, ref, because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. God says, okay, you want to believe a lie? Go ahead. This is speaking about the Antichrist. You want to believe that? No problem. It's to your own destruction because you refuse to believe the truth. So Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he's rather excited about this because they received the word of God. They took it not as man's word, not as a, an opinion or a philosophy, but as what God has said. 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 10 says, And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you people everywhere even beyond Macedonia and Archaea. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them anything about it. For they keep talking about the wonderful people you gave us and how they you turned from, uh, away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of you looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus Whom God raised from the dead, and he is the one who rescued us from terror of the judgment to come. Couple of things, when you receive the word of God, it's evident there's some change in your life. It becomes an evident in your behavior, in how you look at sin, how you look at God. There's an evidence of that. That's what he tells them. Repentance is a marked, it literally means, it's the word metanoia, it literally means to change your mind. What's very interesting about it, it also means to change your direction. That you were heading one way, doing one thing, and now you've turned and you're doing a different thing and heading a different way. They had turned from their idolatry. This would have involved immorality. This would have involved all sorts of pagan worship that they turned from and now they're serving the living God. And this is a mark. People see this. 
Not only this, he says, in waiting, you're anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. They speak how you look forward to the coming of God's Son. This is faith. We're looking forward to what God is going to do. We're looking forward to the future God has for us. That's faith. The marks of people who receive the word of God. One man said, if you want to please God, then you have to line up with God's word. And so the question becomes, what does God say? It's very interesting here, Paul, how grateful Paul is about this. He's grateful. He says, I thank God for this. I'm so grateful. Our text uh, literally says that uh, I never stop thanking God. The picture there of him coming, of seeing what God is doing in these people's lives was so, caused Paul to rejoice. And we know that in Luke 15, Jesus says that in the same way there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner that repents than over 99 others who are righteous and have never strayed. Another fact of the word of God is you will then like what God likes and be excited for what God's excited about. It's just a mark of people who, if God is pleased, God rejoices in a sinner that gets saved. He rejoices in a repentive heart. He rejoices when someone starts doing right. That's an exciting moment for God. 1 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4. So you see that we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak the message approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people, who alone examines the motives of the heart. You got to imagine, too, this is Paul rejoicing in his labors. You know... Being a pastor, sometimes people think it's, yeah, Pastor Greg got, one guy said to Pastor Greg, oh, that's, that's an easy job. We, I could get up and speak a couple of times a week. That's, like, you have no idea. But even at that, people criticize. Glass Window is a magazine in England. And it had a contributor that recalled that a British weekly magazine back quite a while ago printed an article, and it said, in it, it, this letter said, it seems that ministers feel their sermons are very important and spend a great deal of time preparing them. I've been attending church quite regularly for 30 years, and I probably have heard 3,000 of them. To my consternation, I've discovered that I cannot remember a single sermon and wonder if a minister's time might be more profitable spent doing something else. This created a storm of letters that came into this weekly, and they began to debate back and forth of this. But it ended with this letter. A man wrote and said, I've been married for 30 years, and during that time I've eaten 32,850 meals, mostly of my wife's cooking. And suddenly I've discovered I cannot remember a single menu of a single meal. And yet somehow... 
I have the distinct impression that without them, I would have starved to death a long time ago. You know, the word of God that, you know, I was reading a very interesting illustration of, of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon is known as the Prince of Preachers. He preached a sermon and he thought it was quite a poor sermon. And he was, he moved to tears. He left the church. He got home. He prayed. He said, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Da, 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 da. And, and repent and created what he thought, labored, created a masterpiece. After about a month, he discovered that 41 people had made a decision for Christ because of his poor sermon. And not one because of his great sermon. The word of God, God says it's faithful. He'll send it out and it will accomplish what he wants to do. Let's think about what this book contains. One, it contains the very character of God revealed. I'm a big fan of biographies and and often autobiographies. I don't like when an autobiography is simply, I went here, I did this, I went there, I did this, I went here, I did this, I went there, I went. And a lot of them end that way. Been fascinated, different stories through the years, different people that I've listened to. But this book is who God is. I want to know who God is. Read the Bible. This is who God is. You can discover his character by this book. John 1.1 says in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. It's very interesting that Jesus is identified as the word. Goes on in verse 14 and says, and the word became flesh and he lived among us that God revealing his character from his word in Jesus Christ his word Jesus character they both are the same there is no dis- distinction between who Jesus is and what it, what the Bible says that's who he is in the character in the book, it's revealed of, in God's character what he likes and what he doesn't like. In the book is revealed what God expects from you. In the book, it reveals how he deals with people. That's what is revealed. In the book, George Barna is a, a uh, uh, he gathers uh, and does polling information and different things. And he's a Christian. He works a lot with churches. And a while back, he did a poll and he said he developed a new set of criteria that defined evangelism, uh, defined with evangelism and evangelistics that have a biblical worldview. This means to say that they believe that the Bible is the moral standard and absolute moral truths exist and are conveyed through the Bible. In addition, 
They believe that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator who still rules the universe. That salvation cannot be earned by deeds, that the Bible is totally accurate in all it teaches. This group is significantly smaller than evangelistics or churchgoers in general. He made a discovery. He makes these absolute true statements. The Bible is absolutely perfect, morally sound. And he says most churchgoers don't believe that. They don't believe this book is absolute. That's why he went on to cite statistics of all sorts of sins that church people do and excuse away. That even, to my chagrin, some religious people have a higher regard for not doing that than born-agains. 2 Timothy 3, 16, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for the teaching of what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do right. God's will is revealed through His Word. God shows us what to do and how to do it. I know there are specific details in life that we're trying to work out. That not everything is chapter and verse. You're not going to find, you know, tomorrow evening for lunch, thou shalt buy, thou shalt eat. Right? You're not going to find that in the Bible. But what you're going to find that is, as you apply the Word of God to your life in the situations you can, He'll work out the others. Psalms 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, the longest chapter in the Bible, it's written in poetic form like A is for the attributes of God, B is for the beauty, but it's actually not about God, it's about His Word. Every letter is about the Word of God. This is what David is glorifying. And he makes this statement in Psalms 119.105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. That somehow in the word of God I can guarantee that if you're obeying, reading, contending for the word of God in your life, which we'll talk about just a little bit more in a minute, God will work out the details, the specifics of your life. God has a way of showing you what would be the right thing at that time. Hebrews 13.21 That you may be equipped with all that you need in doing His will, that you may produce in you the power of Jesus Christ and every good thing that is pleasing to Him and all glory to Him forever and ever. Amen. God wants to equip you. God wants to produce in you that which pleases Him. He does that through His Word. It gives us hope. The Word of God is our hope. We know that some things aren't going to get better. You know the Word of God. It's not going to get better. 
Immorality is going to get worse. Society is going to get worse. Economy might get worse. But my hope isn't in society, politics, or economics. My hope is in God. Romans 15.4, such things were written before in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement that as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Knowing God's character, knowing God's working, we have hope. We can know that God is going to move. As I read the Bible, I know God moved for the weak and those who couldn't do what they needed done. God helps them. God moves. If you're living right, doing right, God will help you with that. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That if you don't understand what God has said, then you may end up being bound. But if you'll, exp- if you'll accept the truth, God can help you. In the center of this verse, Paul makes this statement about the Word of God working in you. He says, we thank God that when you received His message, you did not receive His words as mere human ideas, but you accepted what they said, the very Word of God, which of course it is, and this Word continues to work in you who believe. So you have to let the Word of God in you. This is exactly what Jesus says with the parable on the wayward ground. No penetration. As a preacher, I've been preaching for 35 years. I've seen people, the Word of God hits them, stays there for a second, and falls to the ground. No penetration. Actually, more here. No, it but boom, bounces off. Usually there's reasons behind that. But the Word of God is filled with the thought of letting it in. Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ in all its richness fill your life. Teaching, counseling each other in the wisdom that God gives, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts. Being filled with God's word, reading, listening. Songs, spiritual songs. I've mentioned before, we don't just sing the songs giving people a chance to give who might be running 10 minutes late before we get to the preaching. But we sing the songs to worship in, changes both our hearts and establishes the atmosphere for God to come and help us. It's interesting, those who don't sing, often the words of God don't penetrate. Romans ten seventeen. for so faith comes by hearing, and hearing the good news about Christ. You begin to realize that faith is built on the word of God, not on feelings, not on circumstances. Some people believe God as long as everything's going good. 
No problem there. What happens when things don't go well? What happens when there's problems? What happens when life throws you a couple of curveballs? What happens when your problems are giving birth to problems? What happens then? I can read about David. That happened to David. I could read about Joseph. That happened to Joseph. I could read about all sorts and how God helped them. The Word of God has to be working in us. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul started this whole thing. He said, for when we brought the good news to you, the Word of God, the gospel, it was not only with words, but it was with power, for the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance of what we said was true, and how you know our concern for you from the way that we lived were among you. Adam, uh, Albert Barnes said of this, he said, the meaning of the truth that was made effectious in their minds, that all who became true Christians, including those who uh, were, uh, were those who abandoned their sins and devoted themselves to God to lead pure, holy lives and were enabled to do this by the Holy Spirit who also helped them through trials and temptations in life. This book has to be more than ink on paper. It's not just another book. There are lots of books out there. But this is the book. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. For husbands, this means you should love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. That he did not present her to himself, uh, that uh, he did this to present to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any kind of blemish. Instead, she will be holy without fault. Now, that scripture can spin some people out because we're cleansed not by the word of God, but by the blood of Jesus. Many times it says we were cleansed, Ephesians 1, Revelation 1, 5, Ephesians 1, 7, Colossians 1, 14, cleansed by the word of God, by the blood of, rather, by the blood of Christ, 1 Peter 1, 18. So why would Paul write and say that we are cleansed, washed by the cleansing of God's word? Well, it's God's word that makes us realize we're dirty and need to be cleansed. Everyone's righteous in their own eyes. I've heard and read mass murderers who can try to justify what they did. How they thought they were okay. But it's the word of God that reveals and makes us realize we're dirty and we need to get cleansed. And it's the word of God that makes us realize we need to call on God for him to help us. If you don't let the word of God in, you won't be cleansed. One man said every generation, the Bible will change the values of its age and define and its definition of success. 
Every generation needs to be recalibrated back to what is the right values and what is success. Because this is the standard above all standards. This is the hope above all hopes. Acts chapter 20 is the only sermon we have of the Apostle Paul. Some say Hebrews might be a written sermon, whatever, but recorded in the book of Acts, there's only one time he preached and those words were written down. In the midst of that preaching, he said these words in verse 32. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with those that have been set apart for himself. Paul says the word of God builds you up. Literally strengthens you. Literally causes you to be strong in life. Jesus told a parable. Matthew 7, 24 through 27, he said, And anyone who listens to my teachings and follows them is wise. He's like a person who builds on a rock, solid rock. When the rain comes and the torment and the flood waters rise and the wind beats against that house, it won't collapse because it was built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teachings and does not do them is foolish like a person who builds his house on a sand. And when the rains and floods come and the wind beats against it, the collapse with it will collapse with a mighty crash. In October... 19th, 2010, in the Institute of Business and Home Safety in Rickenburg, South Carolina, researchers built two 1,300 square foot houses in this facility and tested it with hurricane force winds. At first, both buildings began to withhold. They did three different scenarios of this. And uh, they saw that the houses were fine. And they, one, was, uh, one was built according to conventional standards. The second house included reinforced straps that connected every level of the building from the foundation to the roof. Then when the researchers turned on the giant fans again with gusts up to 110 miles an hour, which is a Category 3, which in South Carolina is common. On the third attempt, the conventional house lasted 10 minutes and collapsed. The one that was reinforced did fine. Tim Reynolds, the engineer who worked on the experiment, summarized the results with this pointed question. The bottom line you have to ask yourself is which house would you rather be living in? In Jesus' parable, in the book of Thessalonica, that church received the word of God when the storms blew The winds, the floods, they survived. Which house would you rather be living in? Let's bow our heads for just a moment. 
You're here this evening, you're not right with God. Not saved, not born again. Maybe you built your house on the sand. It's collapsing. Problems. Maybe you've heard the word of God. Maybe you haven't, but you realize today it's not built on God's word. And I need to get my heart right. I need God to help me to get things right this evening. And maybe that's you. This You'd recognize yourself. I'm not, I'm not right. I'm not saved. I'm, I don't obey God. I have different opinions than what God has, which has caused me to do different things than what God has said is acceptable. If that's you tonight, you can get your heart right with God. You can respond and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If that's you, I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, that's me. Would you pray for me, Pastor? I need to get my heart right with God tonight. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe this is exactly what it is. You, you've heard the word of God, but you haven't obeyed it. You don't agree with God. Oh, this sin is okay, or I don't have to do what he said over here, or whatever it might be. You're not arguing with man. I've I've watched people argue with the preacher as he's preaching. But the problem is, I've actually been the person who's argued with the preacher while he's preaching. But the problem is, you're not really arguing with the preacher, you're arguing with God. What did God say? They received the word of God. The marks were tangible in their lives. They witnessed, they told, the evidence of repentance was there. They were doing other things than they used to be doing. They had faith towards what God wanted to do in their future. That's what we can have tonight. Let's all stand. We're going to sing and worship God as we open the altars. There is power. There is power in the name of Jesus.
Let's worship him. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. Lord, all you're doing, Lord, we rejoice in your goodness and your lightness.